Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And that would mean that God is no better or no greater than I am. So I don't need that. I need a God who's bigger and greater than I am. So I don't understand it. But I can make a little sense out of this. This tells me that the Lord can be at every place, any place he wants, because he's always present. So he is in heaven, but watch. He is also abiding intimately with those that have a correct heart towards him. And he defines what that correct heart is. So we don't have this distant God that we're going to go visit someday. We have a God that we know theologically is around here, but we also have a God that's right here with those who are wanting to be intimate, that have a whole heart toward him. That's the kind of God you want to enjoy. Let me go a little bit further. It says, Also with those with a contrite and lowly of spirit, And now he says, I'm with you if you have that spirit, but I don't want you to just be this beat up person. He says, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite, implying that if you want me, I will be with you because you're broken, but I'm not going to leave you broken. I'm now going to be with you to revive you, to give you that spirit of a feeling of well-being, spiritual well-being. I will be with you. Those of you who are married and have a good relationship in your marriage, and I pray you all have and you all are working toward that. Carol and I have, a, I think, a really good relationship. Now there are times that um, uh, Carol's not right, but other than that, no, no, no. There are times that we have a bad hair day. We do that. But I will tell you that um, Carol and I are truly our, each other's best friends. Now this doesn't leave the Lord out, but when Carol is, is um, off island, I re- there's a real sense of loss. I mean, the house turns into a bachelor pad, if you know what I mean. She's not there. We call each other. It's a joke around her family. Oh, that must be Stan on the line again. There's that communication going on, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm not one of those that even if I watch TV, that I like to watch TV by myself. I just like being in Carol's presence. And most of the time, I think she likes being in my presence. It's that intimacy that we have with each other. And then intimacy is not always born on, if you understand, the sexual intimacy. You're always going to have that, and it should be in a marriage. But what I am saying is, it's that into me see that we have. That freedom to say, Carol, look into me. There's nothing I want to hide from you. Maybe I want to hide it from you, but I won't. In the same way. Well, that's on a human level, and, and we're okay for each other. Proud I think we're very good for each other. But we'll never be great, because only we can have that intimacy with the Lord. Because He really knows, because sometimes I'm trying to explain, this is what I'm thinking, this is how I feel, Carol, and I don't do a good job. I try, she doesn't, I can, we don't do a good job, but we know, God knows us, and that's why we can have that intimacy with him. That's what that verse is all about, to revive us. But you have to have a lowly spirit, a humble spirit, a dependent spirit. Notice the next verse, James 4, 6 says, Be he, the Lord, gives a greater grace. Now some of you, when you read that, you think greater grace, I thought grace is grace. How can there be greater grace? Well, technically, you have what we call common grace. The common grace is is that no matter how bad you are, you get a chance to breathe air. I don't care if you're the worst terrorist in the world, you get a chance to breathe air. You drink water on planet Earth. That's part of my water on planet Earth that we have. That's God's grace that's bestowing upon you and me. That's his gift to us to sustain life, etc. Then you have the greater grace, and that's the grace that gets us to engage in him intimately and, and purposely. That grace is now given to us 
when we come to him humbly and saying, Lord, I need you as my Savior. That's why we're saved by grace through faith and it's not of our any good works. So he says, I will take you into my forever family. That's what that next verse is talking about. We're saved by his grace. That's the greater grace. And when I get that greater grace, that same grace that saves me, this is beautiful, keeps me forever saved in his family. I will never get kicked out of his family. When I'm bad, it's his grace that disciplines me. Read all about that in Titus. And then it also says that that same grace is not just saving me, keeping me, and disciplining me, but that same grace is also teaching me how to walk in a way that will develop my intimacy with the Lord and further his kingdom building. So his grace is a greater grace. And that grace is available to you today, right now as you're hearing my voice. All of that is all based on him. Now here's my point. Who would not want to have intimacy with him? Well, I'll answer that. Often those people, when life gives them a horrible blow and they begin to point their bony finger at God and say, no, I can't do it. I don't believe it. There's no God. I can't believe it. I can't ever believe in a God like that. You might be listening right now, and I'm not marginalizing you, and I'm not mocking you. As a pastor for so many years, I, I've had those days early on. Not so much now. And if they do start swimming into my mind, I usually quickly shove them out. But, we have, but here it is. Here's my point. When you look to the Lord and you have those bad days at that point, I want you to know that God still loves you and He is wooing you right now. And He says, while you may never get that leg back that was blown off in battle, while you may never get back that mate who left you for another person, while you may never have that teenager who at one time loved you and sat in your lap is now running and fleeing for that which you love and believe, He says, I will never leave you. And, watch, and you get heaven beyond this world. That's the joy of seeking him wholeheartedly and having that result. Let's go to principle number two. Principle number two is we seek God wholeheartedly by investing significant amounts of time in fervent prayer. You will find that um, <clears throat> while it is good to communicate with your family and friends through text, and, and I'm, I'm speaking positively of that. I'm speaking positively of texting, those of you that are into that, I don't know who's listening right now, but when you're texting to your family, I want you to know that's a good, now it's not good to do it during church, <laughs> all right? It's not good during certain time, but you're, you're texting it. Why is that, that good? Because if you're not texting or doing anything else, that means you're not in some way engaging that other person with information, you're not connecting. So in that case, it's good. But would not we all agree that wouldn't it be better instead of just doing, well, let's go back all the way to a tweet and how, how few words you use there. Then a text is few words. Well, okay, I'll email them. Well, that's a little bit more, and you can do that. And some of you say, oh, forget email. I'm going to send them a nice letter, and we get all this nice station. We do that. That's great. That's great. More effort shows maybe a little bit more time that you're going to invest in that person. But tweets, texts, emails, letters, notes, as much as you try to color it up with the greatest grammar, cannot always express the tone in which it is said. You cannot look into their eyes and into their heart. You cannot go through their eye gate into their soul by just writing. Now that's not saying, don't do it then. What it is saying, yeah, tweet, text, email, communicate often. But it's when you can sit down uninterrupted in a safe environment to be able to communicate what your heart is or what your plans are or what you need to resolve or where you need to go. I'm going to tell you that is what breeds connectivity and intimacy. That's with human beings. Can you imagine how much better it is and easier it is with the Lord? For one thing, 
I can't text while I drive. I can, but I, I shouldn't. I can pray when I drive. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say I have to raise my hands, lay on the ground, beat my chest, close my eyes. It just says I have to talk to Him. And don't even have to do it out loud. But I can talk to Him anywhere. That's the intimacy. That's this point here about being fervent in prayer. But I'd like to crank it up a notch. Instead of just texting or communicating to God once in a while, I chose the word fervent. Scripture uses another word very similar. It's like devoted. I'm devoted to this. I'm devoted to Him. I'm devoted to the connection root, which is prayer. I'm devoted to this. I'm fervent in this. And that's what God wants. So I'm going to ask you a question. Apart from thinking about God and calling that prayer, set that aside for a moment, apart from the rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub prayer, or thanks for the, or, or for the prayers before you do maybe a major decision, or maybe the prayers you get out of a devotional or you see at the bottom line a two-sentence prayer, here's my question. When was the last time you had a heart-to-heart conversation, uninterrupted, fully focused prayer conversation with the Lord? When did you do that? Don't raise your hand. It's not to make you feel guilty. All it is is like a doctor asking all of you, you know, when was the last time you exercised? All right? That's all it is. And so now what we have is we can sit there and with a non-humble heart, point one, give all the excuses why we couldn't. Some are going to be reasons. I realize there's a realistic world, but some of them are excuses. Or we can humble ourselves and say, I am broken. I have let television, I've let getting my kids involved in all the sports on the island that I can. I've involved myself in trying to keep up with all the Facebook messages that are coming my way that I have relegated to God very simple, quick little prayers. But I, I know the value of prayer and I will pray. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tonight. None of that is to make us to feel guilty necessarily as much as it is is to say, you're right, Lord, not to me, Lord. And I want to be more fervent in prayer. Now let's look at the verses that I selected. Remember the Bible is loaded with them. Just talking to the Lord in prayer. Not necessarily always asking Him for something. Psalm 55, 17, the psalmist says, evening and morning and at noon. Would you circle that evening, morning, at noon? Now we could make a big deal over you do it at night. Maybe that's the last thing you do is you sign off with God. Maybe in the morning the first thing you do is you say good morning, Lord. Not good Lord, it's morning. But uh, good morning, Lord. You start your day with him. Maybe at noon, maybe you're going to do it. I don't mean you're praying over your sandwich. I'm talking about a a, a noon-type prayer. I don't know that it's all talking about that. I think that's maybe a good part of the case. I think a bigger thing is to say, watch this now, watch this. In a Jewish environment, which this is set in, although we're Gentile believers, but a Jewish setting, a day is basically sunrise to sunset, and I'll just kind of do it for our language, 12 hours. So it's basically saying... I'm going to pray all day long. I'm going to be in this experience of talking to God. So whether you schedule out a session with God, and, 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 and I'm a big guy for that. I, I think we need to do that like you schedule taking a shower, like you schedule where you're going to have lunch tonight or today. All right, you schedule that. On the other hand, I want to warn you about putting you into a schedule. I think it would be very dangerous because some people get so locked into their little schedule of devotions that they relegate all their time of communion with God to the schedule and now what they've done is they compartmentalize their relationship purely to a schedule. So work it out yourself so that you have that intimacy with the Lord. Sometimes kick into the schedule. Other times don't be a slave to a schedule. Go beyond that. It's like giving, tithing, 10%. Some of you don't give anything or very little Push it up to 10%. Get yourself in a schedule. Once you're in the schedule, don't be a slave to the schedule. It's grace-giving and way beyond. 
That's what it's saying there. Okay? So let's look again. It says, I will complain and murmur. Ooh, isn't that weird? I will complain. It actually, I looked in different translations. It actually means I'm a complaining, murmuring. I'm pouring out my heart, my pain, the things I don't understand, my gripes even. Everything that's with me that I just, I just, I can't figure it out. And then it says, and he will hear my voice. Did you catch that? Say that with me. And he will hear my voice. Now, that sounds contradictory. Because here it says in Psalm 66, it says, if I regard iniquity in me, he will not, iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. Here it says, I'm pouring out my complaint, I'm griping to the Lord, and here it hears me. There's the difference. One is, if I'm regarding it, I know this is sin, I don't care, I'm going to keep on doing it, and then we want God to bail us out. That's not going to work. do not say he can't hear us, it just says he won't hear us. This verse says, I have a murmur, I, I'm, I'm complaining. That's saying, Lord, I'm hurting. I've got issues in relationships. I have issues with my health. I, I don't know where I'm going. I, I sometimes feel far from you, Lord. I, I, I want to be, I want to do one here. I want to get my heart right towards you, Lord. Help me out. And it says, and he will hear you. Now, if it's your Bible, I want you to circle the word voice. I'm wondering if it says in here to give us a release so that we don't have to do just silent prayer. That there is that actually talking to God out loud. Many years ago when Carol and I were living in the mountains of North Carolina, they do a lot of things differently in the mountains of North Carolina. I won't tell you everything that they do in their churches there, but one thing they did do is that they had the men sit on one side, the women sit on the other side. That's one thing they did. And then at prayer meeting time, we'd do all the prayer requests, have our little Bible study and all that. Then they'd say, okay, time for prayer. And our very first time, we had our kids with us, never experienced North Carolina church praying. They fell on their knees. I thought, okay, I can do that. So we get on our knees. And then they start praying. And everybody prays out loud. So there's this, this, this roar in this sanctuary. And I think they're praying louder, thinking that maybe God will hear me over so-and-so's prayer. I'm not marginalized. I'm just saying that they prayed out loud. It doesn't mean we have to pray out loud in a public place. All this is saying is that this psalmist said, I prayed with my voice and he heard me. So I'm just submitting to you is, why don't you try that? Why don't you try that? Give a prayer out to the Lord out loud. The next verse says this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now all I want to say about that is it says continually devoting themselves to prayer, but prayer was as important as listening to the Bible taught, the apostles' teaching, we might say communicating to them what God had to say to the apostles to say to them. They were devoting themselves to fellowship, getting together around the uh, Aloha time table on the lanai, going to functions at people's houses where they have food and fellowship and games and things like that. They devoted themselves to that. They've devoted themselves by not missing the times of communion, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So all I say, all I see in this is that as much as we com commit ourselves to these other things, have we committed ourselves to a time of prayer. Do we spend as much time in prayer as we do in fellowship or in teaching? Is there an equality going on here? An equitability happening here? Do we do that? And I throw it up the backside of that is maybe some of us all we want to do is hide in little prayer meetings and we don't go to the other things. The point is is that they had their life balanced and prayer was a part of it and they were devoting themselves to it. They invested significant amount of times. Then you have Paul telling Timothy constantly remembering you in my prayer night and day and that was a constant communication with the Lord. Principle number three. Principle number three is that we would seek God wholeheartedly by getting a grasp on God's word. 
All right. If you remember the three phrases I'm saying here is seek, the second is God, the third is wholeheartedly. So if we're going to seek God, Scripture says, Jesus or the Lord Jehovah says in Jeremiah, He says, if you seek me, you will find me. So there has to be that devotion, that fervency of seeking the Lord. Now number two is I need to seek God. So it's not about God. It's not the God of other people necessarily. In other words, to seek God through their eyes. I need to seek God, correct, seek God. And then it says wholeheartedly. Well, if I'm going to seek God wholeheartedly, the biggest question now is not the seeking and it's not the wholeheartedness. The real issue is, is am I seeking the real and only God? But a lot of people that are seeking God, I mean, some of them will crawl on their knees up a tremendous amount of stairwell to uh, give a little something in some um, uh, image of Christ in some cathedral, okay? And so I will not doubt that they're seeking wholeheartedly. My question is, are they really seeking the God of the Bible, the true God? And the only way I'm really going to know God is not necessarily by just reading theologians. And I'm not against that. I've got the books. I do it myself. But the point is, I need to know the book right here. Remember, if God says to seek us and he says that we will find him, my belief is that God wants us to know him ever so much more than we will ever want to know him. Do I hear a witness on that? And if we do, and he does, then it's going to be connected through the word of God. So I want to submit to you what I might call... Six ways that you can get a grasp on your Bible for the ultimate purpose of knowing Him, seeking Him wholeheartedly. These will go quickly. Here we go. First of all, you have to hear the Word. You've got to put yourself underneath the sound of God's Word. Now, whether it's the audible sound through CDs or apps on your phone that will speak the Word to you, and there are plenty of those that are out there, or whether you listen to it on Sundays from the pulpit here, audibly we're talking about, I think hearing him means not only hearing him with your ears, but also hearing him with your mind and your heart. And here's what it says in Romans. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God, we might say scripture. And so if I want to increase my faith about who God is, I need to hear the word. I need to be underneath somehow the sound of the unadulterated, correct, clear, teaching, preaching, speaking sound of the Word of God. Number two, to get a grasp on it, I need to read it. I do need to place not only my ears in its direction, like I want to listen to someone whispering on the other side of the wall, I'm going to cock my ear toward, what is the Lord saying? I don't want to miss a word. I want to get the whole thing. But I also need to cock my eyes in that I want to really be able to see. Can you see that out there? It was funny. We were on our back lanai yesterday, late in the afternoon, Carol and I try to spend uh, uh, time alone just with each other, just to, just to enjoy each other. And not long, but just to do that. And uh, we're on the back, and then Carol had made some lunch, and we're seated there, and I thought, I'm going to see what Carol, I'm going to see how we are. I said, Carol, look at all these houses. We live up Kulio'o, and we have all these uh, uh, houses before us. I said, Carol, what is the f- your favorite house color that's painted out here? Now, you might say, that is so dumb. Why, why, aren't you going to talk about the hypostatic union and about theology? No, 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 no. What's your, now, me knowing what her favorite color is helps me know a little bit about her design, you know, HDTV in her mind kind of thing. So I am. Um, so she looked. I said, now look all around. Look on. She did, she did, she did, she did, she did. And then she said, did you pick out one? Yeah, I picked out one too. And just to show you how weird we are, we picked the same house, the same exact house. 
Now, why am I telling you that? We had to pitch our eyes and evaluate and to look which one. In God's Word, I'm not going to look at the Bible and pick out which verses I like and which ones I don't, which ones I agree with, which ones I don't agree with. What I do want to do, though, is I want to pitch my eyes to the Word as long as my eyes have the ability to see. Because sometimes when I'm seeing it, I'm looking at passages all up and down, all the way. Get yourself a good Bible. Get yourself a a leather Bible or a Bible that you know you're going to have a long time with big enough print, preferably a study Bible, preferably a Bible that has a literal translation rather than a paraphrase or something like that, and own that Bible with a pen. Hear it. Read it. Look at the verse. This is coming from Revelation, probably one of the least read books in the Bible other than the tiny little prophets in the Old Testament. And here's what it said. Blessed is he or she who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. I like that two in one verse. Reads and hears. But also says and heeds the things which are written in it for the time is near. So you are blessed if you read it, you hear it but you also apply it. We'll talk about that later. Let's look at the third bullet point. There are six of these. You need to study the Word. You need to study it. In other words, it's not just reading it. So I often say, can I do this? Um, Many years ago when we were in North Carolina living, remember that church I talked about? They would have wells there. Not every house had water. A lot of houses, you would get the rainwater that would then fill up into the ground. Then you'd have a a big, huge well-like, and they would... They would plummet sometimes two or three hundred feet into the mountain to find the water source there. And then they would suck up whatever water that they had and then it would spill over into a big catchment, uh, maybe half the size of this uh, stage up here. And they would collect the water. Then in that, they would then have a pump at the bottom, at the bottom, that would suck up the water that would go into your house and you would literally, literally drink that. There'd be no filter. There would be no chlorine. There'd be no fluoride. There'd be nothing. you just drink that. I said all that to say this. They never took the water from the top of the tank. The pump always went to the water at the bottom of the tank. Now, I know at the bottom you have the sediment, but right above the bottom is the purest of water because the stuff that isn't floats to the top. Now, with that horrible, weak illustration, let me show you what I mean. We can listen to the babbling brook. We can look at the top of the water and know that there's some great truths here. But it's when we plummet its depths by studying this, when we take it in its entirety, I'm going to tell you that you will see God as He really is revealed in Scripture and you can't but help love Him with all of your heart and seek Him and want Him. You've got to do it by study. That's why it says, by these wonderful Bereans, now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. And I like the next phrase examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They were checking it out, making sure it was accurate. And that word examine means they studied it. The next is they memorized it. They memorized it. You know, it's important that um, we not only drink it, but we let it change us. And memorization is really the thing that does it. I know it's hard to memorize, so let me give you a little trick. Um... Many years ago, someone asked me if I'd memorize Psalm 119. You'd heard the story already, and it has 176 verses in it. So I chose to compartmentalize the whole psalm up into topics so that the verses weren't verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. It was like in the subjects of whole heart and teaching and quicken or to be made alive or to seek the Lord, all subjects. So I had like a, a, a running counseling commentary on Psalm 119. 
but it was hard for me to memorize it. Then there was a guy that came out with a memorization plan that really worked. It was called the Ron Hood memorization plan. Basically, it boiled down to this. You'll memorize it. We'll say, you'll learn it, you'll forget it. You'll learn it again, you'll forget it again. You'll learn it, you'll forget it. You'll learn it, forget it. Learn it, forget it. Learn it, forget it. Learn it, you got it. Did you catch that? You got to do it again and again and again, then finally, you got it. So those of you that are out there, you're going to get it. I was teaching this, and I had a Vietnam veteran came up to me, and he says, my mind is so I took drugs, and I, I can't really remember. I can't remember what I memorized. And so what I told him, I said, God loves you, and I love you too. And he understands, so don't worry about trying to memorize it. No, I didn't say that. I said, you do the best you can. And if you can't spit it back after you memorize it, don't worry about it. you know why? Because if you are focused on this, you're trying to keep it in your mind, it is still supernatural, because it's a supernatural word. It's going from your mind, through your spirit, into your soul, and somehow it will captivate you in a way that you might not quote that verse exactly right, but it will change you. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh